It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So what's it going to be? The bad Edmonton Oilers we saw play the Los Angeles Kings on Saturday night? Or the good Oilers that shut down the Anaheim Ducks the very next night? Saturday's wretched shutout loss to the Kings showed the Oilers' definite lack of motivation that night. Not a playoff attitude, had coach Ken Hitchcock said after the game. While Sunday's win over Anaheim showed the Oilers can play well when they want to. I'm Jim Matheson. I'm Derek Van Deest. And I'm Craig Ellingson. I talked to Jim and Derek about the Oilers' inconsistent Jekyll and Hyde weekend performance and about the grabs and holds and shots Oilers superstar Connor McDavid endures many times per game in the Oil Spills podcast for Tuesday, January 8th, 2019. I was all ready to talk to you guys about who should be replacing Peter Shirelli as Oilers general manager after that Saturday game in which the Oilers lose putridly to the LA Kings. But then the very next night they go and play Anaheim. And they they had Cam Talbots play very well off the beginning. And they win for nothing. And now, as of Monday morning, they are two points back of the Ducks for the wild card spot in the Western Conference for the final wild card spots. And, uh, you know, Shirelli's job hinges on whether or not this team makes the playoffs. So we do have a half a season Sometime later on, maybe, we can talk about who Shirelli will be replaced by. But for now, I don't know. I don't understand. I mean, I guess Ken Hitchcock did touch on it this mo- uh, after the game in L.A. I mean, this team is a situation-motivated team. They clearly weren't ready to play against L.A. Who is in last place? They're in the basement in the NHL, and L.A. shut them out. Um and then they go into Anaheim and, you know, it's just like Hitchcock had said Saturday, you know, they need to be embarrassed or motivated somehow to to play better. And they did. So what kind of team do we have? But the LA Kings are a last place team. They're last place in the NHL. They're in the Jack Hughes race. And the Oilers look like they should be in the Jack Hughes race as well. Why why do we have a Jekyll and Hyde going on here? Well, you didn't. Because they've always been a Jekyll and Hyde, except for that 103-point season. As long as we've we've known the Oilers, they play a good game and follow it up with not a very good game. Yeah, but the the Oilers don't always have the same personnel. Like 12 years ago, Connor McDavid was a was a child. 
Well, I, the Oilers aren't the only team in the league that gets plays awful one night and comes back and wins the next night. The key is is whether they can do the same thing against San Jose as they did at Anaheim, play as well and and play two of those games in a row. If they go back to playing just average and and lose the game 4-2 or something, well, that tells the coach something too. He says, okay, I yell at them, get them mad, embarrassed, they come up and play a good game. And then we're playing a team, San Jose, that just beat us 7-4 to four in Edmonton. It should have been 7-2. Uh, and we, we still lose the game uh, after San Jose's playing a game at home tonight against L.A., so it's back-to-back, and the Oilers lose on Tuesday. I think they're just back in the same situation. They're lucky they're in the Western Conference. This is the, one of those years where I don't think you're going to need quite as many points to, to make the playoffs, and uh, so they're in the wild-card race. But, you know, I'm thinking to myself, are we are we resorting to the fact is oh we just got to make the playoffs let's just get into the playoffs what about cont- actually contending to win something yeah. what so they get in the playoffs as the second wild card and have to play the Winnipeg Jets or somebody who's got the most points in the league and they're out in in a week what does that prove so I guess getting into the playoffs is one thing uh, but if you're out in a week too I think I think they still have to prove that they're better than just a team that scrambles into eighth place in the, in the conference. Well, I, my situation, the way I see it, is is the difference between that game in L.A. and the difference that game in, in Anaheim is that they got the saves in the first period in, in Anaheim, and they didn't get the saves in the first period in L.A. So Anaheim could have easily been 2 nothing last night. And then you're like, oh, the Oilers are back in the same similar situation. They were playing two pretty bad teams, basically. The Kings were, are a bad team. They're not a very good hockey team. And they got off to a slow start. And the Oilers, for some reason, and I don't know why it's always been this, they don't deal well with adversity. They, they just don't. They, 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 as, as Hitchcock said, everyone slumps their shoulders. Everyone starts feeling sorry for themselves. Everyone feels bad. And everyone looks to Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl to get him out of the hole. And I think some of those guys on the bottom two lines have to look at themselves and say, you know what, I'm going to do it tonight. I'm going to score a goal tonight. I'm going to have the big hit tonight. I'm going to make the good play tonight. And I'm going to lead this team to a win tonight. And I think not enough guys are doing that. It was nice to see Brodzik score a goal. Lucic made a nice play on one of the goals. But those guys need to do that every night. And they have to play hard. And if you're not scoring, you have to play hard. You have to make yourself noticeable on the ice by going hard, finishing checks, doing the right things. And too often, the bottom six guys don't do that. And I think it's it's on... Everyone says that the, the the depth on this team is not good enough. It's not. But if I was one of those depth guys, I'd be saying, well, it's up to me to get better. And I think that's the situation. And this this team, for whatever reason, always slumps its shoulders, always feels bad for themselves. Oh, look at us. You know, we're, we're, we're going, here we go again. And this, and we're, we're gonna, not getting the breaks. We're not getting the bounces. We're not getting the calls. You know, stop feeling sorry for yourselves. Go out there and play the game. And I think the Oilers did that last night to an extent. And, you know, Matty, I mean, you, you su- suggested the same with what Derek's saying here. That happens to teams, you know. You get in a hole. It's hard to come back. Um, it's, well, it's hard, hard to, to come back from a three-goal lead. Sure. Three it's hard, goal you know, deficit. You're, you're working from a deficit. Period. And, you know, I see that in kids' hockey, too. I mean, the kids get all down when they're the first – they don't get the first goal and they've let their foot off the gas. They're unhappy. The pros are the same way. Unless you're the – well, I was going to try to bring the Dallas Stars into this because while well, Jamie Benn and – Tyler Sagan aren't exactly late in the world on fire, despite being their best two players. They have support guys stepping up and 
helping the Stars win, even though their best two players aren't necessarily scoring like McDavid and Dreisaitl are for the Oilers. We talk bottom six. I think it's bottom nine on the Oilers. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. Uh, if Dreisaitl plays with Connor, there's one line, and then there's Nugent Hopkins, especially if Chason plays on the first line with, with Dreisaitl and, and Connor, and then Nugent Hopkins is left with whatever else is left to play with him on the second line. <laughs> so it's... Uh, more top nine needs more contributions uh and Pugliarvi actually was reasonably noticeable last night too he scored a nice goal uh it looked like a an offensive player he scored a nice spin around a goal and, and he it. shed Josh Manchin and Cam Fowler doing it yeah he scored a nice goal so that's you know for all those people who love Pugliarvi yeah. uh, they you know I'm sure they were dancing after that goal I'm still un- unsure as to whether this guy's really going to be a a star player or just a kind of a contributor, you know, being the fourth overall pick, but he looked pretty good last night, and they got two goals from people that weren't named Dreisaitl and McDavid. Like, they only got one goal each last night instead of two from one and one from the other. So that that's an improvement, and I agree with Derek. The saves were there early in the game. I'm not going to f- throw Koskinen under the bus, though, and say he's the reason they lost that game in L.A. Those chances they had were they were great. Primo, a. yeah, primo chances. Yeah. Now, given a, you know, not to knock Kyle Clifford's work ethic, but he's not exactly the, you know, a scorer in the NHL. But he made that goal look pretty easy. So maybe he should have stopped that one. The other ones, I don't know if he stopped. I've seen Jeff Carter score that same goal on goalies for ten years in the league, coming off the wing, and and Toffoli's was a really good shot too, and a goal. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I. I don't think the coach knows, to be honest, what team he's going to have, and that's not a good thing. You know, what coaches want trust in players and want to see the same thing game in, game out, and sometimes the other team beats you because, uh, you know, their goalie's better or something. But when the coach doesn't know which team's going to show up from night to night, that's a very tough chore for a coach. Yeah, where does character come from, right? I know we've touched on that a few times, but that's basically what we're talking about with the, the bottom nine on the, in the forward ranks for the Oilers and the on-on defense as well. Well, they're still getting paid every second week, so you just can't, like like Connor is and, and Leon are, mind you, their paychecks are a heck of a lot more than <laughs> Kyle Brodziak's <clears throat> and Tobias Reeder and such, but they're still on the team, so if you're part of the team, then you have to do something more than just check, and checking's fine, but Every now and then, I looked through the stats in the league, and there's guys. Ryan Reeves has got eight goals in Las Vegas. And now he's a f- always been perceived to be a fighter. He's got eight goals. Lots of guys halfway through a season. Even if you're a, a bottom six player, you should have five, six goals by now. Say six, and you finish with twelve goals at the end of the year, not zero or one or two. So they have to really still pick it up, and on on those nights when when Connor and Leon, you know, are only getting assists on goals, and they got to score some. And I know I brought up the Dallas Stars, partly because I've been on holidays for the last couple of weeks, so I didn't get a chance to talk to you guys about the whole Stars owner and CEO calling out Sagan and Ben, all that stuff. That's already it's in the rearview mirror, but. 
you know, and they're complaining about the top, their top stars not performing. But, I mean, the stars are in the playoff position. They're right in the mix in the Western Conference because they have depth, because they have guys stepping up. And obviously, every team wants that. Yeah, it does. And to me, that was the CEO covering his own butt and basically trying to divert the blame on someone else. Yeah, trying to take the heat off the general manager. Yeah, probably take a little bit. But that's some. That's, that's a that's, lot that's, of heat to take. That's diverting, that's diverting the blame. Absolutely, and, yeah. and if you're going to be a leader of an organization, if you're going to be the top of the organization, you can't be doing that in public. Like you, you can't air your dirty laundry like that. And it's a situation where um, – yeah, you look at that. Uh, first thing I see is this guy's trying to cover up his his backside because he's not his team isn't what he thought it would be or, or the people he's put in his place. And so what do you do? You blame the two highest paid guys. And yeah, they're not playing well, but it's ebbs and flows. Those guys are star players. They they know when they're not playing well, and sure. they're star players for a reason. And I don't have a problem with it. I'm a newspaper reporter. There's so many times where you get nothing from a general manager. We don't get much from the general manager here. No. Wow. We don't get anything from the owner here. But my point uh, is, is so that... So if they want to say something, I'm writing it down, and it's great. My point is that, you know, and how long has Jim Nilbin GM in Dallas now? Is it five years? He's largely responsible for that roster. And, he, and he, yeah, Sigan and Ben aren't playing up to their potential this year. They certainly did last year. But, boy, you, should, you got some depth guys. Who found those guys? Who signed those guys' contracts? What's the, big, what's the problem? Orders wish they had that problem. Or maybe not. I mean, you want McDavid and Dry to yeah. score, of course. But at least you know you've got some potential on the, uh, lower down the ranks. I think most teams, there's a whole slew of teams in the league. You say, you know what? There's more there. There's more there. There should be better than that. Dallas is that Edmonton that with Connor McDavid is in that same boat. They should be better. St. Louis, we should be better than that. There's a whole lot of teams where uh, the owner is probably looking at the team saying, what the heck's going on here? We should be better than this. And um, unfortunately, you know, we live in Edmonton where the best player in the world is and and they're not in the playoffs. And if they get into the playoffs, they'll be scraping till the bitter end to get in the playoffs because I just don't see a team as flawed as they are suddenly winning six games in a row. I just don't see it, and that's the only way they can get out of this log jam and 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 be comfortable as opposed to they scraping. did that and they month. had that they did that a month ago but then they just fall right back again wow. and, and um, apart from that 103 point out of body experience year they had there's been so many of these where at the end of the year you're saying you know what are they just an 80 point team 70 point team so they need a lot more contributions to suddenly reel off six in a row, I think, unless the goaltending gets so unbelievably hot, they win a whole pile of low-scoring games. Now, obviously, Chris Russell's only been back for one game, and he was gone for a bunch. And, of course, the Oilers uh, lost all but one of those. How much does it mean to have him back? I mean, obviously, when Clefbaum comes back, that's your top defenseman who played almost 30 minutes a night coming back to your lineup. And he was playing those minutes for a reason. I think he's a safe player, a competitive player, and the other players on the team like Chris Russell. And I know every goaltender plays for the Oilers likes Chris Russell because he blocks lots of shots, blocks more shots than any other defenseman on the team. So he makes mistakes, but when he plays at the end of the night, he's going to get his his eighteen to twenty minutes a night. And you're going to say, you know what? Most times he was on the ice, we we're pretty safe. 
and I think they needed a safe defenseman, and they've got one. Now, I'm always a little leery of guys with groin injuries. You've had a groin injury, you come back and, you know, you, hope, you just hope that he keeps plowing through this and the groin injury doesn't come back, but he certainly looked just fine last night in, in Anaheim. Well, it's funny because Chris Russell, he's got a lot of people that just don't like him. They don't like the contract. They don't like what he does. But you look at the owner's record when he's in the lineup, and it is very impressive. And there's a reason for that because you're right. He's a hardworking guy. He's going to block a lot of shots for you. He's going to get the puck out of the zone to make that simple play. But he eats up a lot. He eats up minutes that, and then you can kind of put everyone down in the pecking order. You don't have to play someone up in that pecking order. But it's it's it's. It's interesting how, what the Oilers' record is with Chris Russell in the lineup. Like he's a vital part of this defense, and I think he doesn't get the credit for it. He, you know, and he, he actually gets a lot of stick for it for some reason. But yeah, he's a hardworking guy that's going to block a lot of shots, can make the right play, and he's a veteran, veteran defenseman that's been around a long, long time. And you look at a guy like Chris Russell. I remember him when I was in Medicine Hat. He came to the Medicine Hat Tigers camp, and he may have been five foot one. He was a small little guy. But you saw that he was feisty and he could make the play and he wasn't afraid. And I think that was the big thing. And he's always had to kind of battle against the naysayers his entire career. So he comes in, he does his job, and I think it's he's very important. I've always been a big Chris Russell fan because I know that I know what he's gone through to get here and I know how talented he is and I know how he's kind of even evolved his game. He's changed his game since he came to the NHL. He was an offensive defenseman in junior. And he's now become a shot blocker and a really, really dependable defenseman. And some of those guys aren't around. And that's why Peter Shirley is going out trying to look for fine, defend, dependable defensemen. He made those trades thinking that these two guys that he brought in were dependable defensemen because they were missing Chris Russell that much. Well, when Clefbaum gets back, there's 103 defensemen on the roster now. I don't know what they're doing with them all. Yeah. You yes. know, um, they got two sitting out now, you know. Benning and Manning, that's eight defensemen, and then Clefbaum will be nine, and the easiest move, obviously, is to send, you know, Caleb Jones back to the you know, back to Bakersfield because he doesn't have to clear waivers or anything like that. But he's played pretty well, you know, Jones. Um, the key is, for him, he's playing a lot of minutes, and he doesn't get worn down. He's playing a lot of minutes against pretty good players. Um and you want you know the, the mistake he made against Clifford was a rookie mistake in the LA game where Clifford went around him and scored a goal. Hadn't seen that too much from him. Um, I think I, it's it's one of two things with Caleb Jones. The, the coach really likes him. The downside is he's playing a kid up from the minors more than he's playing some of his NHL defensemen. So that's good and bad. You know this this kid looks good, but then what about the other defensemen? They're not playing. You know. 20 minutes a game so uh, it's going to be interesting but I I don't see Clefbaum coming back till after the all-star break so they got many games left before then you know to play so um, I guess we have to wait among those defensemen yeah, till then so it's an interesting situation I I wouldn't be surprised if, if the orders traded one of those defensemen at the trading deadline well, I think they're going to have to, but what are you going to get for him? Are you going to get what you, depends got, who what they, you gave up for him? What are you going to get for, for Manning if you have to let him go? Depends, depends who you're trading. Yeah. You know, it depends who's asking too, right? Yeah. What do they need him for? And, you know, they're the easiest thing in the world to trade at the trading deadline. 
teams always want defensemen. The contending teams, yeah. we need another defenseman. Yeah, they need depth defenseman. We need yeah. another defenseman, you know, just in case, just in case, just in case. On the other hand, for the I mean, if you could trade an Oiler defenseman for a forward at the trading deadline instead of just for a draft pick or something, well, you'd take that. Even if he was an unrestricted free agent forward from another team, I'd take that. You, know, you had Drake Kajula. I know. That, I, I, I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just don't. I mean, I know Drake had his detractors too. He said, gee whiz, you know, he should be better than this. But he had up his goals and stuff. You know, he's wasn't over he an 80 a, game stretch. He, a he scored too? over an 80 game stretch. He think he scored 18 goals. I mean, defensively, I don't think Drake is all that good. But offensively, you play him with better players. He's able to play with better players, and I think he's. I don't. He's the last person I would have traded. No, I honest. yeah, I wouldn't have made that trade. I, mean, I think there was obviously there's some health issues with Julie. He seemed to always be getting hurt. Every time he get some traction, something would come up. He'd get hurt. But I thought he was finding that that game, that greedy type, smaller guy, annoying type game. I think he was kind of developing that into that player, that player that the Oilers have always been looking for. If you're a small guy, you better be a pain in the backside. You know, Tobias Reeder, he goes games without being noticed. Other small guys, go, they go games without being noticed. But you always notice Kajula. You always notice that he was doing something or sticking someone in the corner or something. Like that. No, and Chicago wanted him. You know, the Oilers weren't trying to trade him. They, they were trying to trade Ryan Spooner instead. Yeah. And they said, nah, not, in, not in your life at $3 million a year. On the other hand, in Kajula's case, if you're a coach, you said, okay, we can start him on the fourth line, but if he's playing good, we can play him on the third line, or we can put him on the first line. There are some players on the team, you, you can't move them up any higher in the lineup. That's where they are. They're bottom six. Mm-hmm. You can't play them with better players. And I think in Drake's case, he was able to play with McDavid for sure um, and play pretty well. So that one I'm not sure why they had to do that but um, that's the general manager making that call not me Flagrant fouls on Connor McDavid. Now, he's he's the biggest star in the NHL. He's the best player in the world. So, of course, he has a target on him. Teams are going to want to slow him down as much as they can because, clearly, he's scoring at will almost. So anything you can to slow him down, of course, teams will do that. However, we had a case in the Anaheim game where we watched Hampus Lim at home basically put him headfirst into the boards in front of a referee. Referee is facing the play and there was no call. Previous game, Drew Doughty behind the play, mind you, elbowed McDavid in the face and was laughing about him on the bench apparently afterwards. David obviously uh, felt it. They showed a shot of him on the bench you know, after the that elbow as well. Now we've we've been seeing all kinds of, you know, clutching, grabbing, interfering with McDavid all year, if not all of his career. Um, but the case of the Anaheim hit from behind, I mean, that doesn't help the referee's cause if there is 
you know, what, why, why aren't they calling this stuff? Well, it could have been anybody. It didn't have to be Connor McDavid. That was a, a, yeah. a dangerous play on any player. Could have been, you know, could like, have been Kucherov. Well, like you were saying, that's could have been all out what the the broken collarbone was when man. Yeah, he was boards. going at a little faster then, and that was his rookie year, and he was a lot more reckless mm-hmm. then. Uh, in this case, you know, you, if he sticks his hand up to break his fall, maybe he breaks his wrist. You know, he could have separated his shoulder. You know, in Connor's case, he got up and skated away. But um, what what is happening now is the players aren't cross-checking players, but they're sticking their stick in the in the back of a player and pushing with their hand. Mm-hmm. So it's a half shove, half cross-check, and regardless of whether it's a, a ripping cross-check or a push, that's, that's happening a lot in today's game. And they've cut down on the hits uh, in the open ice, head hits, and I don't think they're cutting back on those sort of hits where they propel people into the boards near enough. And, and you know, you're going to find that the flip side, people say, ah, oh, players turn their back and trying to draw the penalty and there will always be players that are like that but in this case I don't think that was quite the same situation and I don't know what's going to happen to the referee other than I'm sure he got a call from Stephen Wacom the head of the officials in the, in the league after the game he says what were you watching there um, why well, wasn't that a penalty and uh, I don't know what happens to refs they get fined I guess we never hear if they get fined and they don't necessarily their, their grading system as to working playoffs and stuff you know that goes on their ledger, I guess. Yeah, I think that works. And if anything, they'll you know, if any, if they thought it was egregious enough, they'll probably take him off. They'll unassign him from some games or whatever. But I'm sure he got a phone call from his supervisor asking him about what he saw because he, the video of that shows that he's looking right at the play. So I know I know some people are saying, well, maybe he was just looking at the puck and he didn't see the hit. Well, the whole point of being a referee is you don't just stare at the puck and you, you look at the play around you and you have to have a so you have to have your surroundings available. And I, I'm a referee in soccer. I'm not saying I'm the greatest referee, but I kind of taken those courses. They tell you what you're looking at, and you're looking at the whole play. You not you don't focus on just the puck or the ball. Or you're looking at the entire play. You have to see the entire play. And for some, and and you have to make there are splits. They are split second decisions. I give you that. But you have to look at that play and say that's a hit from behind. It's dangerous. He went into the boards awkwardly. And I, I don't know how he kind of just turned a blind eye to that. And I think with McDavid, and I think the league in general, I see a lot more sticking infractions, a lot more slashing as the guy's coming up with the puck, a lot more guys slashing at the gloves or slashing at the hands, which is something that I'd like to see the league go away from. Um, you know, you saw, you, you see guys taking sticks to the hand all the time. You saw it with Johnny Goudreau. You saw it a couple other instances. So it's, it's gone back to a really bad stick league. And it's a situation where they don't want you to hold up your opponent, but they allow you to hack a guy two or three times. It's 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 getting kind of out of hand, and I think they have to clamp down on that. When it comes to McDavid, you have to let him skate. You have to let him. You can't let him teams interfere with him. And I think that's the thing that's that drives Edmonton Oilers fans crazy. Is that he's if he's beating you on the outside, if he's beating you wide, you can't grab him and hook him and hold him to slow him down. That has to be a penalty. And I think. That's the issue right now, and, and I get it. It, it, it. To me, it's ridiculous that McDavid doesn't draw the most penalties in the NHL because he should. He's the fastest player, and he gets by, and, he, and he's the most skilled player. 
But you look at the list of players that are drawing more penalties than McDavid, and it's ludicrous that he's not at the top of that list because well, he should be drawing three or two or three penalties a night. I mean, from talking to Kerry Fraser, he says Hitch, Hitch is right. Hitchcock is right in a lot of cases where they're stopping him from coming up the ice now, is it more than they are once he's in their, their end to, to try to stop him from coming. And, and you could call penalties there. In this case, um, I've also heard that that Connor may have pushed off before that hit and to, to get in a little bit of space like a you know two guys going up for a ball and a you know, receiver and a defensive back and the offensive player pushes off a little bit and the ref didn't call that and he didn't call the other one that's neither here nor there he should have called the interference and the and the hit into the boards uh, but chose not to call either penalty so and Lindholm's a good, honest player. He's a hard player to play against. He's not a dirty player by any stretch. I'm kind of surprised the league hasn't said, you know what? On second thought, we saw that that's that's a hearing, a phone hearing or something like that. that's a dangerous play. Mm-hmm. On on never mind if it's Connor McDavid. It could have been Warren Fogley in in Carolina, who's drawn more penalties than Connor McDavid last time I looked. So it doesn't have to be. And in, in Connor's stead, I if I'd been pitched into the boards, I'd been yelling at that ref as opposed to like, what were you looking at? But he just got up, kind of gave him a, the stare, and then skated away. I'd have been right in that guy's face and says, "What are you doing?" Like he is the captain of the team, I think he's allowed to do that. I say, what were you watching there? So, uh, but I think Connor doesn't want to get into that. I'm a whiner every time I'm hit situation. He's trying to go the opposite way. His coaches said one thing, and he doesn't want to pile on and and be yelling at the refs with every time he's he's hooked or held or pitched into the boards. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud.